Yes? No? Maybe? Could be? So be? Okay, very good. All right. Excellent. Um, turning in your Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 21. Normally we read through the text before. Um, the last week we read through the whole text, and we're going to just dive into it this morning because of all the things going on. I know that you'd love to eat lunch with us and stay till 2 o'clock, but um, <clears throat> we didn't have anything prepared, so I better finish on time. So, Matthew chapter 21. What an exciting morning as we think about the possibilities of what God is going to do in the lives of our seniors that as God is going to be working through them. And is, what's really amazing is, you know, some, when you start and head off on your own, I think our seniors are going to realize something that we realize as adults that guess what happens? Your, your faith becomes your own. It's no longer your mom and dad's faith. It's no longer the faith of the youth pastor, the senior pastor. It, you, all of a sudden you start facing things on your own. And the truth of who Jesus Christ is begins to really matter in everything that you're facing. And it's really cool. Um, we do have seats up in the front row. I promise not to spit. Um, well, I most likely won't spit in your direction. How about that? Um, but if you want to come sit up here, we can. We've got room up here as well. So don't feel like that that would be a problem at all. All right, Matthew chapter 21. Before we dive into the text this morning, we're going to take a couple steps back. And because, again, we're looking at... This action-packed, Matthew's got this action-packed sequence of events. And oftentimes we don't see this as action-packed because we got all these little subheadings and subtitles that you got in between paragraphs that you'll see if you got your Bible open. And I encourage you to open your Bible. And if you don't have one, we can get you a Bible. If you just want to raise your hand or do something like that, we can get Bibles and get ghosts going. But there's all these subheadings. And so we see these subheadings. And in our minds, we start to break up this text. But the thing about it is, the way Matthew has written this, things flow from one thing after another right into this text. And so Jesus cleanses the temple back in Matthew chapter 21. And he goes through and he throws out these money changers. Then we have the blind and the lame coming in. And Jesus heals the blind and the lame. And, and the Pharisees and the, excuse me, the chief priests and the scribes, these guys who helped other people with their sacrifices, these guys who made sure that the sacrifice was legal, they start to question Jesus Christ. And they start to question why he's doing these things. And they, they basically asked him, you know, do you hear what they're saying as the blind and the lame are crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David? They are crying out these, these praises that were reserved for the Son of God, for the Messiah, for the Promised One. And Jesus is like, duh, yeah, I hear them. And then they're exactly responding the way they should be. You guys should be responding this way. Then Jesus comes down, and after that event takes place, that Jesus leaves Jerusalem, goes to Bethany, and on his way back, there's this, there's this thing going on with Jesus and the fig tree. Jesus approaches the fig tree to get some figs off there because he's hungry. Guess what happens? There's no figs on the tree. And so Jesus, knowing that there's no figs on the tree, he's trying to teach a spiritual lesson, explains to them, that, you know, this fig tree curses it, it dies. The disciples are like, whoa, can't believe this happens. And the fig tree is representing the nation of Israel, that God had set the nation of Israel apart to be his people, that in every aspect of their lives, they would be praising and glorifying God and worshiping him. But they were failing to do so. And Jesus is going to tell his disciples and give them a powerful word of encouragement before he goes his next round with the chief priests and the Pharisees. And the word of encouragement is this. Prayer removes the barrier so that the gospel can be proclaimed. He's going to tell them that, listen, you're going to face obstacles. You're going to face these barriers to proclaiming who I am to other people. But get on your knees. Get on your knees. And you get to experience the power of God to you, and you're going to do greater things. You're going to be part of greater things than a fig tree dying. You're going to see greater miracles happen as you get to watch as prayer impacts and changes people's hearts and lives for the cause of Jesus Christ. People's lives are going to be changed. And let me tell you what, that is the greatest miracle we can ever witness as people on this earth. And it breaks my heart to hear people want to, oh, I need to see this miracle. I want to see this happen. And physical healings are great. When God chooses to physically heal, it's because God chooses to physically heal. That's his work. But the greatest miracle is the spiritual healing that can never be taken away. The healing that preserves someone for the kingdom gates of heaven. 
And when we get to be part of that, oh my lands, that's the greatest miracle we can ever be a part of and witness and see take place. And so with that encouragement, here come the Pharisees. They're back at the temple. And last week we talked about this. The Pharisees approached Jesus with this question. The Pharisees and the chief priests with this question of authority. <laughs> you've just cleansed out, cleaned out the temple. You've come in and you've, you've railroaded people out. You've shoved them out the doors. You've healed in the temple. By what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus does a great turn of events on them. Executes a rabbinical teaching method and tells them, tell you what. You answer my question first, and then I'll answer yours. And so he goes to John the Baptist. He tells tells him, you know what? Was John the Baptist's baptism, was it of heaven or was it of the earth? Basically, the question is this. Was John the Baptist's baptism of God or from man? And he's setting them up. And they're pretty smart people. They see the setup. Because he's saying, John the Baptist came to proclaim and point everyone to me. He came to prepare the way so that you might be ready for my message and the truth of who I am. And so if they say it's of God, then guess who they got to believe in? Jesus. they got to believe in what he's doing. But if they say of man, well, then we read they're afraid of the crowds. They have more fear of man than they do of God. And so Jesus says to them, I'm not going to tell you either. The point of what's going on there is that Jesus Who he is, the truth of who he is, is going to be proclaimed. And that prayer is going to open doors for the truth of Jesus Christ, the gospel, to be proclaimed. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders and those in position and power can't stop God. And I think you need to hear that message this morning. Again. Government officials. Laws. Rules. People in power position, false leaders in religious places, cannot stop the proclamation of the gospel. And the way that that's overcome is through our prayers. When was the last time we were on our knees before the Almighty God saying, God, the barriers need to get removed from the gospel? And one of the things that we need to be really clear on, the barriers that we face the gospel, the proclamation, the telling others of the gospel of Jesus Christ, one of the greatest barriers is us. What were the the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the religious leaders afraid of? The people. How often are we afraid of the people that surround us, friends, neighbors, relationships. We're afraid that if we we share the gospel message, if we proclaim who Jesus Christ is, that people will abandon these relationships and won't want to be our friends anymore. Let me tell you what, your relationship, if it's void of the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, is meaningless and worthless. Because gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that brings hope. We can be a great friend. We can help people out. We can help people move. We can do a lot of, we can be a great friend. But when eternity comes, if we have not proclaimed that message, and if they go to hell, they will go to hell because we have not been a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to speak it. So Jesus comes, and so at the end of this, Jesus says, Neither will I tell you by what authority that I do these things in verse 27. And I kind of wish this paragraph break wasn't there in that little subheading because I know that they're trying to be helpful and give you a little idea of what's going on. But Jesus rolls right into it. Okay, you guys think you're off the hook. You didn't answer your question. You're fearful of the people. So you're going to be content with not answering this question, but I'm not done with you yet. And Jesus does that to us. Jesus has this way that he starts, he starts into our lives, and he starts revealing to us stuff, and he just keeps coming. He keeps coming. Sometimes we wish he would stop. Lord, it's painful. Would you stop already? You're starting to reveal things where I'm not trusting you and I'm not believing in you and I'm being disobedient to you. And I really wish you would just stop so I can just remain here for a minute. But Jesus keeps coming and Jesus keeps coming right here. He goes in verse 28, what do you think? Listen to the story and give me an answer. He's setting them up. He's leading them down a path. A man had two sons. And then he says to his sons, the first son, go and work in the vineyard today. 
And he answered, the son answered, I will not. Now, in the ancient Near East culture, back in, in this time when Jesus is telling this story, okay, for this son to say, I don't think so, no, you probably would have heard an audible gasp from the audience going, you don't say no to dad. I mean, nowadays it's commonplace. No, dad, I'm not going to do that. Right? But back then, it was a cultural taboo. No way, no how, uh uh-uh. And so when you hear this, you're like, oh, that person's done. There's going to be nothing good that's going to come from that person. And when we hear this story, Jesus saying, this person said, I will not. This son said, I will not. I will not be obedient. Basically, the Pharisees and the scribes saying, that but we're going to set him aside. He is not going to, there's going to be nothing good that's going to come from this person. But something happens. He leaves out from his father's presence. But afterward, it says, he changed his mind and went. If you feel comfortable with writing in your Bibles, circle that little changed his mind. And write maybe a little note by it that this idea has this concept with it that The reason he changed his mind was because he got guilty. He repented. This idea of changing his mind was because there was something going on in his heart. He realized he'd done something wrong, and he needed to become obedient. And so the text says he changed his mind, and he went. He went into the vineyard. And again, when we're looking at this story, this idea of the vineyard is the idea of God's kingdom work. God has established his kingdom work a long time ago when he set aside Abraham and the Israelites. And he's continuing his kingdom work. And the Israelites were supposed to be faithfully attending to the vineyard. The Israelite leaders were supposed to be faithfully attending to the Israelite people so that all nations would know that God reigns in Israel. That they are to come to Israel and see who God is and understand his power, his might, his majesty. And so this idea of the vineyard, so the first son says, I am not going into the vineyard. I am not going to go be helpful and help serve in the vineyard and and do God's kingdom work. But this son has a repentant heart, changes, and he goes. Well, the, the second son, it says here, that he was approached, and the father tells him the same thing. And his answer is, yeah, I'll go. And at this point, the Pharisees and the, and, and the, and the chief priests are going, good son, great son. Look at him. He's telling his daddy he's going to go. He's going to go be part of the work. And he's like, and if you would have just stopped there, like, oh, he's the better son. That's what we want. That's the son that, that, that obeyed. That's the son that, that had the right heart. But guess what? His heart was demonstrated because he did not go. He did not go into the vineyard. He said, I'll go. It was some great, I mean, he could have gone on for 10 minutes. Dad, you're the greatest dad in the world, and I think you're the wonderful dad, and the work that you're doing is amazing, and everybody should join in your work. And we should be as excited as I am to go. And when the father leaves, he's like, puts his feet up, kicks back, he goes to sleep, or he goes back to playing Xbox, or he does whatever he's doing, right? But the bottom line, he never goes into the work. Jesus is setting them up. It's beautiful. Isn't it a great noise here in our kids pounding around upstairs? I love it. They're having a good time. Hopefully we'll be having just as much fun here today. Jesus is setting them up. Now, sometimes we do this with our kids. We're trying to teach, teach our kids an object lesson and lead our kids to, into self-discovery of what right looks like. Well, Jesus is leading them in a, in a bit of self-discovery. He says, he asked them, which of the two did the will of the Father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the, go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. Now, I want to stop here for a second. Because Jesus brings up two groups of people that would have been despised in this society. They would have been the worthless scum. They would have been the people that everybody wanted to give up on and was absolutely no way, no how anything good could ever come from their lives. The tax collectors were Jews who worked for the Romans and they hated the Romans. The Romans were the occupying government and then they ripped off other Jews while working for the Romans. 
Not the most popular of individuals. In fact, they were hated. They were despised. But you got to love the irony. Matthew is writing this gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And who's Matthew? He's the next tax collector. You got to, come on, you just got to love that. I mean, I'm just, you know, God, when he's working this out, he's, as Jesus is going about, he's calling Matthew. He's like, man, I'm going to really use this for a great teaching point several times. Because they're really going to need to hear Jesus is in the business of changing the most distant and most far away, the most rebellious. He is in the business of changing their hearts. And, okay, tax collectors, they're scumbags. But the prostitutes, they're, they're a new level of scum. They're not only, you know, disobedient and rebellious, but they're female, they're disobedient and rebellious, and the only thing they're good for is objects of self-satisfaction in someone else. They're, they're worthless in the society. There is no hope to be had for them. They're garbage. From their pedestal on the temple mount, the chief priests, the Pharisees, these people who were supposed to be looking after the people of God, supposed to be exemplifying what it is to have hearts and lives changed by God, to pursue God, stood in judgment and condemnation of these people and said they will never have any place in the kingdom work of God. But Jesus has turned the tables as he says, you remember John the Baptist? You guys were standing on the banks of the river watching the tax collectors and the prostitutes go down into the river and repent of their sin and get baptized to signify the repentance of their sin. And you stood on the banks and you judged John's work. And you missed the lives that were being changed by the preparation of Jesus Christ's coming. Lives were being changed, but you just stood there in judgment. You just stood there and condemned because you said those people will never amount to anything for the kingdom of God. They're going to be in heaven. This is what Jesus is saying. And unless you change your ways, you will not be. These religious leaders are in danger of judgment. Of being left out of the kingdom work. That they have been called to participate in. We see examples of the chief priests and Pharisees in today's society. There are pastors that will stand in the pulpit this this morning. They will deny the authority of scripture. They will deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They will deny the work that God has in people's lives. They will start spewing some philosophy. They'll start spewing some new theology. They'll start spewing some new doctrine that'll lead people far from the fold of God. And they'll devastate people. And we need to be praying for those churches and for those people. The high church of Scotland. And this is hard for you, for those who are kind of not studied a lot of theology, you don't realize how much great theology, how much great doctrine has come out of Scotland and the churches in Scotland just this week have abandoned the doctrine of authority and inerrancy of Scripture and have turned away. Just this week, and it's just breaking hearts. Because if we don't preach and teach this, then we always will all go home. Save your money. Put your checks back in your wallet, your money back in your wallet. Save your time. Because if this isn't the word of God, if Jesus Christ isn't the son of God, Paul said we're the most to be pitied. But the truth of it is he is. And that we need to be praying for these people that are rejecting the authority of scripture, rejecting the truth about Jesus Christ. In order to be popular, in order to soften the blow of Jesus. But I think... For us this morning, it's easy for us to look and condemn those people, get angry at those people, get frustrated with those people. But the truth of the matter is, we're a lot like the Pharisees and the scribes, I think, in this situation. If you look deep within your heart this morning, there are pockets of unbelief that God, there are certain people you do not believe that God can change. 
And you may even have a name to those people right now as they come to your mind. They're so far gone. They're, they're, they're worthless people in this society. They're, they're, they're so far out there that God could never change them. And we've given up on them like the Pharisees and like the, the chief priests did here. They've given up on these people in society. And God's saying, I'm in the business of changing those people's hearts and lives. You watch. I'll get a hold of them. And they'll become part of the kingdom work. But because of your disobedience, because of your lack of faith, you're going to miss out on the blessing of being a part of that. See, God is in the business of radically altering and changing people's lives. The scary thing about this passage is, is there are people in our congregation this morning that have gone to church a long time. That have visited churches and have, have gone through baptism and, and have gone through taking communion. And that have sung the songs and that have even maybe even taught other people about the Bible. But they're just like the chief priests and the Pharisees in that they, God, has never changed their heart and their life. That their knowledge is about God, the big guy in the sky, the good moralist teacher. Jesus Christ is in the business of taking hold of our hearts and radically altering them and changing them for his kingdom work. And if you're here this morning and you know of God, but you have never had your heart changed by God, then you're like the Pharisees and you're like the chief priests here who knew of God, but were far from Him. We're teaching people how to be a good moral people, follow the rules, be obedient, take care of this, do that. But their hearts had never been changed by God. And Christ is in the business of changing people's hearts, softening them. Molding them, making them so a hearts of flesh, from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, so that we might pursue God and know what it is to have this incredible relationship with Him. The Pharisees, chief priests, were missing out on this. And you may look at this slide and say, Scott, I don't get it. Prove the kingdom message. What do you mean? You see, as the tax collectors and as the prostitutes had this change of heart, this, this first son that had his change of heart and then got about the kingdom work. You see, God was in the process of changing those people's hearts so that they could pursue him. And when they, their heart was changed and they began to live out the kingdom work, they were proving what was just previously spoken, that Jesus' authority is from God the Father. Because as our hearts are changed by God and we live out in obedience of that changed life, we prove the truth of Jesus Christ with our lives. We're living proofs that Jesus is the Son of God. You see how damaging it is when Christians call themselves Christians but don't live the kingdom life? Then we're not living lives that prove that Jesus is the Son of God. God has placed us here on this world so that we, in our life, in our testimony, we might give proof that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He'd sent the chief priests. He'd sent the Pharisees. He'd given them the law so that the law might give testimony to who God is. That when they offer those sacrifices, they might be reminded of the sacrifice that is needed to come. That their hearts might be repentant and turned to God. And that it wouldn't be about ritual, it wouldn't be about morality, but it would be about repentant hearts and changed lives. Jesus continues. He says, I ain't done with you yet. Hear another parable. Oh, buddy, if it's getting hot now. Here Jesus goes again. Verse 33, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower, and he leased it to tenants. Now, I don't, I'm not going to dive into each one of those details. Basically, what the, the master does is he puts up a vineyard expecting a harvest, doesn't he? He's got the wine press there. He's got the tower there. He's got all the elements that he needs to bring in a harvest. He's expecting a great harvest from the vineyard he's putting in. He's ready. Ray, Ray's planting a vineyard right now. We're hoping to go out and help this week. I'm looking forward to that, right? Uh, buddy, we're going to get muddy and we're going to plant vines. Ray, are you expecting a harvest? You wouldn't put it in not expecting a harvest, right? 
The master's putting in a harvest, and he's got tenants, and he's brought people in to work his fields because he's, he's wealthy. He's, a, he's got several fields. He's got, he's got lands that he can go to in faraway places, and so he's hired people to take care of this for him. So when the harvest comes in, then the har- the, those re- bearing that harvest, bring it in, might then pay the landowner and receive their wage. Ray, how would you feel if you know the guys working in the fields started taking your grapes home with them? <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Many talking about that later. <laughs> yeah, you'd be angry, man, right? You're like, wait a minute, I'm paying you these wages. Well, this is what happens. The master sends these servants. Look at this. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. No big deal. It's harvest time. You're going to go get the harvest, and you're going to take in the harvest, and, and you're going to give it to the landowner. Well, what did they do? Well, it says here, and the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and he, they did the same to them. If you've studied a little bit of the Old Testament, this is starting to sound a little bit familiar to you because the people of God were supposed to be agents of glorifying God and place where people could, other people in the nations could see God being glorified in Israel. The problem was, instead of the Israelites pursuing God, they did it for a time until they got in trouble. Then they cried out to God to save their bacon, right? And God would send in a judge, or he would send in a prophet, or he'd send in a king, or he'd send in a priest to deal with the situation and restore the people. Well, it got to the point, the Israelites just got to the point where they're like, you know what? We really love our sin. We really love being disobedient to God. We are, I am comfortable. I like my lifestyle. I like these choices that I'm making. And so guess what I'm going to do? When the prophets come, they beat them, they killed them, they stoned them, and they threw out the men that God had brought so that they might become fruit bearers once again. Then the master sends his son. Now, to us, you're like, this is, what in the world is going on here? He sent two groups of servants, the second group bigger than the first. These people have killed the servants, right? Why would he send his son? You think something different's going to happen? What's wrong with this master? This master desires the fruit of the kingdom to be brought in. And he desires it so much. He's willing to put his son to the hazard for it. They will respect my son. Verse 38. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Notice the language here. They took him. They drove him out of the vineyard. They chained him up and led him out of the vineyard. And they killed him outside of the vineyard. Boy, that sounds familiar. They took Jesus and they put the cross upon him and they led him out of Jerusalem to a hill called Golgotha and they killed him. And when they were for the vineyard, owner of the vineyard comes, Jesus asked him what will happen to those tenants. God desires to be glorified and praised. And God has a kingdom work that will be accomplished, that cannot be stopped, that will not be thwarted. God's work will be done. Who will be a part of it? Who will be a part of the kingdom work? Who will be part of living a life that brings glory and praise to Almighty God? Because I'm telling you what, as Christians, we struggle with this one. We struggle with living our lives that bring glory and praise to God. We continue to live lives that give praise and glory to ourselves. 
we struggle with this, our selfish ambitions, our selfish motives. When you hear people tell of their story of what God's doing in their life, or you just hear somebody come home from work, or they're, you're texting with somebody, and it's all this negativity, it's all this bad, oh, I had all this going on in my life, and oh, I, but you know what, I overcame, and I read this great self-help book, and the seven whatever of whatever, and you know, and then I got all this good stuff in my head, and I overcame. Oh my goodness. Jesus Christ is the one who gives us the ability to overcome. Jesus Christ is the one that gives us these circumstances and situations to redeem our hearts so that we might glorify him. Otherwise, we become like the chief priests and the Pharisees who stood on the temples with their cloaks and their fancy, all this adornment, and they said, look how good we are. They're the ones that walked to the offering box and dropped in the money nice and loud and looked around and said, did everybody see that? They're the ones that went in the street corners and sat there and prayed and made great commotion so that all might see how good they were. You see, God desires from us that as the fruit is being harvested, that God is the one getting the glory. God is the one that is changing people's hearts and lives. It's for his benefit. It's for his glory. And today we're going to hear testimony from three different people of God's radically altering, life-changing work in their hearts and their lives. And we get to celebrate Jesus. But you will completely miss the point if you say, oh, they've been so much, through so much, I'm so proud of them. Please don't do that because it is Christ's work in their lives and he gets the praise and the glory for what he is doing through them. I heard a great statement this week as I was reading, I'm reading a great little book called Redemption. He makes this statement in there that we have missed the point. We think that Jesus is part of our story. He's playing a good support role. He's the good counselor. When I need a good word of advice, I lean in and tell him, what you got for me, Jesus? Oh, that's good. Or, or we think he's the, he's the cushion, right? Oh, when I screw up, he'll be there to catch me. It'll be a soft landing because Jesus is there. We are part of his story. Don't miss that. And Jesus is going to use the hard times. Jesus is going to use the rough times. Jesus is going to use these times to show us how mighty and amazing he is. And if we live our lives as Jesus is secondary, if I have time for you, Jesus, if, you know, when things get hard, I'll reach out to you, Jesus. But Jesus is to be the primary. Our relationship with God is the primary thing, the most important thing in our lives. He's not the secondary or the tertiary or, or just if I get around to it. He sent his son so that it might be possible for us that in every area, in every aspect of our lives, he is going to redeem us and be glorified through us. And his work will be accomplished. Jesus goes on to ask them this question. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will be done to those tenants? Jesus is setting up again. He's like, oh, he's teeing up. Here we go. They said to him, well, he will put those wretches, i got to love the language here, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give them fruits in their seasons. And for you and I who've got this bigger perspective of Matthew, you know what Jesus is going to say and do here, you're like, oh, they just condemned themselves. They just put the nail in their own coffin. Like quite literally the language here is those bad people as bad as they are, they will meet the same bad demise. That's scary stuff. What did they do? They killed the servants and stoned the servants. They took the son and they, they cast him out and they killed him. Well, the same demise, they will be met. Jesus said to them, have you ever read in the scriptures that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? And this was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. God's story, God's will, will be done. It will not be swapped. It will not be thwarted. It will not be prohibited. God's will will be accomplished. Who's going to be part of it? Who's going to be part of it? You guys are tripping over Jesus Christ. 
the one you should have been looking for, if you really knew what the Word of God said, the Pharisees, scribes, teachers of the law, if you really knew what the Word of God said, you would have been, after that first, if we take a few steps back, in the Gospel of John, we read of an earlier cleansing of the temple. When Jesus first started out his Judean ministry, the Gospel of John gives us accounts of things that no other Gospels don't give an account of. Jesus cleansed the temple. After that first cleansing, he then goes out and shows and proves he had the authority to cleanse the temple. At the end, by Jesus coming back the second time, and when he does this the second time, the response of the Pharisees and the response of the chief priests and the response of the scribes should have been to get on their knees before Jesus, repent, and turn to him and tell us what, the, what is it we should be doing, Jesus. But instead... They remain contrary to God. They remain pushing God back, pushing God away. And Jesus says to them, you've rejected me. And the cornerstone, that stone that the house is built up by. Now, this is something that is kind of odd to us in the day of building. But we have a great representative of it in the stone chapel over here. When that foundation was laid, when those rocks were built, we've done some studies on it. We had engineers come out. There's no concrete foundation to that building. On top of dirt, they started laying stones and stacking up stones. Now, how many of y'all ever done a stone wall? A few folks, right? There are certain things you have to do to do a stone wall. A stone wall in a straight line is hard enough. Now, do four walls together and build it up together and have it come up straight on all sides. Well, you need a stone. You need a marking place that the whole house is being measured from so that you contain, continue to maintain the same distance from that stone and you can erect, erect a straight-up structure. Well, for us, Jesus Christ is that stone, cornerstone. We're the living stones. We're living stone church, right? He is our living stone, and we're living stones, and we're being built up into a spiritual house, and we continue to keep our eyes on Jesus, and the house goes up right. But if we take our eyes off Jesus, we got walls falling over, we got windows falling out, we got people being crushed by rock. It ain't pretty. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, the house goes up right and true, and we become a holy place. Set a pipe for God for his praise. You see, Jesus Christ says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to another people producing its fruit. And to the one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. There's a very interesting wordplay going on here. There's a passive and an active sense to the rejection of Jesus Christ. Those who fall upon it. Those that Jesus is a good guy. I've learned about Jesus. I've studied about Jesus. I've read the Bible. And, and, and I, I've taught other people about Jesus. I believe in Jesus. He's a good dude. Has he changed your heart? No. No. I'm good. I'm really a moral. I'm a good, good person. And, and Jesus is for those tax collectors and prostitutes. Come on. That passive rejection. Not actively saying Jesus is horrible. Not actively saying Jesus shouldn't be worshipped. Just not pursuing Jesus. Just not wanting a heart changed by Jesus. And then you've got those that are outright rejecting. Those that are outright going to be crushed by God because of their rejection of who Jesus Christ is. Their outright denial. Guess what? You're either being built up into a spiritual house, which is a beautiful picture that God makes for us in Jesus Christ, or you're getting crushed by him. There's no middle ground. The love of Christ comes to us with the truth of Jesus Christ. You can't separate it. You can't say, I love Jesus, but deny the truth about him. You can't do it. To love Jesus, to love who he is, to believe who he is and worship him and become part of his kingdom work and what he's working out. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables, they perceived, (laughs) good job, guys. Glad you know what's going on here. That he was speaking about them. 
And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Who do we fear? Do we fear our king? The one who came to redeem every aspect of our heart and life? Do we want to live our life out in light of what he has done for us? Do we want to please him, obey him? Do we understand that we're part of his story and he's not playing this complementary role to us? But rather we're being changed by him so that we may become more effective agents of his story? Or are we fearful of men? You know, outside as you were coming in, you may have seen that there's a petition. And I know I'm going to get different responses from this room on this petition, but I'd ask that you just hear me out. And it's a petition to put before the lawmakers, before actually before the state, a vote on the, the transgender bathroom issue. And so that we might vote and bring this to a vote and so that our kids going into locker rooms might not have to be put in jeopardy. Um, you know, we believe that God makes male and female. And, and we believe that in making us that way, he's making it so that we have an abundant life to live in him. But if we fail, if we fail to tell people about the abundant life that God has, and for us as, as man and woman, as, as husband and wife together, it's an abundant, beautiful thing that God made to be. And we know the one who defiles. We know the one that deceives. We know the one that, that takes beautiful things and perverts them and destroys them. But at the same time, we, we, we ask people to sign this petition. If there's one reason... I wouldn't want you to sign that petition this morning. And some of you are going to disagree with me. That's, that's okay. If there is malice and anger and hatred in your heart for a people group or a society group in our society, do not sign that petition because you will be sinning. We should love tax collectors and prostitutes. The chief priests and the Pharisees said there's nothing good that can come from them. And I think we've said that about certain sects of our society and we're wrong to do so because Christ is in the ability of changing people's minds and changing people's hearts so that they can engage in the kingdom work. We are not right to have malice and hatred in our hearts for anyone. That is not reflecting the love of God. That's about being about our own agenda and about condemning people. Let me tell you what, you don't want the world that your judgment and condemnation would create. You don't want it. We want the world that Jesus Christ came to bring to us. So if you could sign that and say, you know what? I want to put on display God's kingdom and the abundance of life that we have in Jesus Christ. So I'm willing to sign that because I want to put that on display. By all means, sign it. And it's a great way for us to just be real applicational. But if your heart is angry or hatred towards a certain people group, please, please don't. You see, Christ is calling us to be agents of redemption in every area and part of our lives. And in this society that we live, Chelan, Lake Chelan should look differently because Livingstone Church is part of the redeeming work of God here. It should look differently. And we firmly believe that. So my question to you this morning is that are you living a life that proclaims the gospel message of Jesus Christ? The truth of who he is. Are you speaking? Are you living? Are you praising? What are you praising? What are you glorifying? Because I see that as being the central theme of this passage. Are we living that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And if we are, then the words of our mouth proclaim to others that he's the Christ, the Son of God then our actions demonstrate that he has changed our hearts and we're living for him. And the worship, the gathering in of the fruit, is praise and adoration. As we give them back to God, look what you're doing, God. You are awesome. You are amazing. And your work is incredible. And I'm so grateful to be a part of it. I can't wait to go into the vineyards. And I can't wait to reap the harvest. And I can't wait to offer it up to you that your name will be praised. You see, that's what it looks like for us to live lives that demonstrate 
Jesus is the Son of God. He changes our hearts and lives so that every aspect and area of who we are glorifies Him. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank You so much for the incredible redemption story that is available to us because of Jesus Christ and His teachings. These are His words. And Father, we confess this morning that we have been selling this short. We've been a judgmental people that don't believe you could change hearts and lives. We've been an angry-filled people. We've been a self-centered people that says we'll go and says we'll be obedient, but we just really just don't want to do anything at all. We've been a people that have stolen the praise of God. We've been a people that have inhibited and prohibited the praise of God. And Lord, we confess that to you now. And Lord, what's as amazing as we get to confess that, knowing that you will forgive us, and knowing that you'll give us the strength for our hearts to be changed, and that we might turn from these ways and be obedient unto you. Lord, this is all about you. And we want our lives to reflect that. And Father, as we have these baptisms take place, we just pray that through the testimony that is given, your name will be glorified. And that we will rejoice with great rejoicing, Lord God, in what you're doing in their hearts and lives. And that we may, with great anticipation, welcome them to the family and celebrate what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as we have our folks come up, Travis, we're going to have you go last. We're going to do um, Zach and Sophia first. And the kids are coming in right now. And so kids, welcome, because, man, we want our kids seeing this, right? Because they're going to come home with a 100 questions about baptism. And you all never be ready to answer them. So what I'm about to say, you might want to listen to a little real closely. Yeah, ready? All right, so when we baptize someone here at Livingstone Church, we want to be very clear about the purpose of baptism. It does not save anyone. Baptism saves no one. Baptism is for us to demonstrate that our lives have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and that the grace of God has changed our lives. The grace of God has saved us, not water, not Jeffrey holding them down till they start blowing bubbles. None of that. You didn't know that was coming, did you, Zach? Um, none of that. That doesn't save someone. What saves someone is the truth of Jesus Christ changing their hearts and lives and the gospel of Jesus penetrating them. Okay, That's what changes someone. Okay, And so that's, I'm going to be very clear about that. So um, if you're thinking that this is, they're somehow saved because of this event, no, 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 no. They're already saved. They're now going to physically demonstrate before you what God has done already inside of them. Okay? We baptize people in accordance to our Trinitarian God. God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Okay? One God. Don't, don't, don't make sure I'm very clear on that. One God, three persons. God has revealed himself to us as the Father. He has revealed himself to us as the Son, the suffering servant. And he has revealed to us himself as the missionary this the sent one the holy spirit okay and so when we baptize jeffrey is going to you're going to hear him say this i baptize you in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit well it's awesome because as god has revealed himself to us as father we become a family we got to be part of a family and that's exciting we be a part of the family of god which is an eternal family a family that that, that hasn't have an end We're stuck with each other. Get used to it. We might as well learn to get along. Because guess what? We're going to spend eternity together. It's going to be a great time. Amen? And that's possible. Because God has revealed himself as father. We get to be a family. And God has revealed himself as the son, the servant. Jesus Christ acted in obedience to the will of God. And so guess what? We're identified not only as a family, but we're also identified as servants of God. That we are, we're commissioning these folks 
to the kingdom work of God, to be servants for the kingdom work of God. That as they identify with Jesus Christ, they are being baptized into his likeness, his image, to be a servant of God. And finally, God has revealed himself as the sent one, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit pursues our hearts. The Holy Spirit calls us unto him so that we may become children of God. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth of Jesus Christ to us. Because if the Holy Spirit didn't reveal it, we wouldn't be children of God. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth of Christ to us. And so we recognize that we're being baptized into a family. We recognize we're being suffering servants for God, servants who obey God and the kingdom work of God, part of that, what he's called us to do. But we also recognize, and this is the scary part, right? That we're being called to be missionaries of God. That as they're baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, that God is calling each one of them to be on mission for God in every aspect of their lives, that God can use this to proclaim the gospel message. And that, that's, why, that's why it's so important that we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That they might understand what it is to be part of the family, a servant, and a missionary of God. And this is crucial. And we're going to dunk them, Okay. You know, the word baptizo in, in the Greek means to, to submerse, and so we're, we're going there, okay? We're, and you're, you're going to see him get fully wet, and, and good old Travis doesn't even have a change of clothes, okay? It's going to be great. Travis is like, hey, I got to get baptized today, and let me tell you something. If you need to be baptized today, there's no requirement except for faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to have you do, if God is laying on your heart to be baptized today, we're going to invite you up and to tell the story of Jesus Christ, what he's done in your life, how he has changed your heart, how he has called you. Remember, change your heart. I don't want, I used to do these things, and now I don't do these things. That's great, but did Jesus change your heart? Has your heart been changed by God? And, and so if, if God's laying on your heart to be baptized this morning, and you can clearly tell us about that change that God has worked in you, then we're going to dunk it today, okay? So this is an exciting day. So without me talking anymore, and you not, you know, Jeffrey, let's roll.